Hello, and welcome to another Executive Spotlight podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Spencer, Editor-in-Chief of CIO Digest and Director of the Customer Marketing and Publishing Programs at Symantec. This is part two of my two-part exclusive interview for the April issue of CIO Digest with Myrna Soto, Vice President of IT Governance and Chief Information Security Officer at MGM Mirage. There, so there's like endpoint endpoint protection that's on the the docket. There's database security. There's the the compliance piece with control compliance suite. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure I missed something. Well, when j- just SIM. just uh, uh, SIM. yeah, Sam, uh, just to just to clarify because it's it's funny because I'm I'm kind of going through this with my um, with my own internal team uh, when when we talk about endpoint protection means a lot of different things to a lot of different people and and one of the things that we're we're trying to speak about it interchangeably is network access control and endpoint protection uh, together. So that's another area of focus. And that's, could could you elaborate just, I know you can't get too specific, elaborate a bit as to why that's critical for for MGM? Well, there's a, it's critical for MGM and and I'll be honest, it's, it's critical for a lot of organizations. The continued management and security of our network perimeter, obviously it's, it's the analogy of, you know, it's locking down your house. Uh, the, the sanctity of your network perimeter is extremely important. Our, our company, our size, uh, the magnitude of endpoints, the magnitude of opportunity to engage in our network as we continue to grow, grows exponentially as well. Um, so the area of being able to um, manage devices, and I use the term manage device being an MGM Mirage owned and operated device versus a guest device or a convention device or anything that may be interacting or corresponding in our network is obviously extremely important to us. That's the front door. Not to say that we, we, our network was extremely locked down. And again, another example of you could lock down your network so hard that you inhibit the ability to allow for progression to happen in the business, and we didn't want to do that either. So looking at a consolidated and structured network access control protocol uh, with the ability to manage those policies in a central console, being able to manage and push remediation to the endpoint if necessary, etc., was the most attractive point to us in, in us embarking upon the project. In control yeah. compliance suite, you're planning to leverage policy manager and some of the other bits and pieces. Yeah, there's um, people think of policy manager first and foremost, uh, but there is um, the certifications and entitlements module that uh, is also something that's on our docket as well. Now, obviously, with any deployment of the initiatives that we've talked about, um, there is obviously a phased approach that we're going to look into. Obviously, we want to make sure that you know, we successfully phase in capabilities and, and that we can absorb that because we will be moving away from one capability to another, which sometimes is harder to do than companies that bring a capability in that may never have existed before, mm-hmm. and you know, to one degree or another. So looking at what we're doing today, how do we kind of bridge that? And we know this is, this is the answer. The answer is one centralized repository. How do we wean ourselves off of that? So 
part of the entire project management uh, definition and the phases phase approach. If you would have walked in here probably about 30 minutes ago, you would have seen a couple of Gantt charts, but I quickly erased them. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So that's, that's sort of your approach. It sounds like when you have an existing solution, you're migrating over to something else that perhaps is, is, is going to be repetitive in many ways but may supplement and yeah. add to what you had in place. What, what, what approach do you take when that, to well, ensure those are successful? What we do is um, we look at the risk associated with it being absent. And in some cases, uh, there's a very low risk, like in, in the repositories of bringing some of your compliance data together. You know, many companies will have to manage off of spreadsheets and things of that nature. I mean, obviously, you know, there's a repository. You, you, you probably won't have too much risk if you move away from this and move to another vehicle. Uh, but in the arena of endpoint protection, as an idea, you know, absolutely cannot afford one day of not having that endpoint protection on. So that becomes a little bit more methodical on how you phase that approach in. And we look at it various ways. We look at it whether it be by a functional group, by a property, etc. But um, one of the cornerstones is, is that the coverage point, what I call the coverage point, is always on. So there was, there's never any opportunity for a gap. It sounds easy. It's quite difficult. But it's why um, a lot of these things will take a little bit of time. And then the email and document policy management, that falls underneath the IT governance component that you own? Yes, it does. As far as the uh, policy creation, the governance of our protocols, the operational component actually falls within one of my peer groups who manages the messaging team for the email groups. But as far as the policies, the procedures, and, and really being able to attest to those policies fall within the technology compliance space. And you've got, how have you gone about defining the, the policies for email retention and document retention? How long to keep them and when well, to delete them? And yeah. <laughs> well, we make the cornerstone of our policies, again, going back to a comment I made earlier about how highly regulated our organization is because of the gaming uh, component. The uh, gaming regulators have their own requirements, so we obviously look at those first and foremost as the absolute. Um, there are other business drivers that, uh, that provide us some structure around how those policies will be created. And then after we've looked at those, then we look to the, the known and endured best practices out there. We look at various models, whether it be COVID, ITIL, and for the best practices in the, in the um, IT community as to what makes the most sense. But I won't lie to you, we have, a, we have regulatory items that um, are must-do and must-have that a lot of other companies probably don't even have to consider, mm-hmm. but just the nature of our business. It, it's interesting because um, it, the whole partnership, you know, people think of regulatory entities as a, as a nuisance, but obviously we don't. I mean, the, the relationships that we have with the regulators um, across all of our jurisdictions um, you know, is, is the cornerstone for our business to remain, you know, at the position that it is today and in, in even much more prosperous in the future. So when you look at these different projects from a business value or ROI standpoint, do you typically do the ROI or try to do the ROI beforehand? Or is that the, that's not always the driving, driving issue for working on all those yeah. different issues? And then do you go back after the fact and yeah. do ROI analysis? Yeah, typically when we um, uh, venture on projects, and, I'll, and I'm going to put my PMO hat on for a minute, we have a very structured uh, project management framework that we have modeled around a lot of the principles of Six Sigma. 
So we look at a lot of uh, things about what we're doing before we even start. And what I mean by that is we follow the DMAIC model that we've kind of incorporated into our project management framework. And part of that is a toll gating process that we absolutely follow before the projects kind of mature to the next phase or life cycle of, 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 their, um, of their initiative. And looking at DMAIC, DMAIC standing for Define, Measure, Analyze, Improve, and Control. So in the Define and Measure phases is where we're really structuring what our measures of success are going to be, what our objectives are, and, and how we're going to be able to qualify or quantify those measures of success. Then through the analyze phase, you're, you're, you're focusing a lot more on the design. When we look at policy manager, okay, look, what are we exactly talking about? You know, how many policies are we going to roll out at a given time? And what will be the if-then statements of the policies? Those will be around the analyze phase. Then the improve phase, implement improve phase, um, is when you're really executing. Here's when you're, you know, racking servers, you know, installing software, training, doing your operational support. But probably the most attractive piece of the DMAIC model is the control phase. You're, you go back. You go back and validate what you said you were going to do. You go back and you validate the way you define things. And you go back and you validate whether or not we were successful in doing so. It's a unique thing because when we, you know, being a, a project manager, you know, uh, by trade for most of my career, uh, followed the um, PMI project management standards and we we still use them today but we're we've taken the PMI best practices and we've looked at the DMAIC model from Six Sigma and we've kind of done a hybrid approach and really from a DMAIC perspective the most important piece is that there are toll gates that we look at before we go too far down a path and and we found and it's quite interesting because when we first introduced that framework I had people come to me and say you know this means we're going to cancel some projects. And I said, success. Because if you are able to identify a project on the front end that just doesn't make sense for the organization, doesn't fit in a strategy, you know, it just doesn't make an investment decision is just too hard to make, and you cancel it versus you still go through with it and spend that money. And that's one thing we are, we are extremely diligent on, on how we structure our technology investments and make sure that we're making the right investments against our strategy and looking at the more enterprise approach to things. So I know you're, you're very passionate about diversity yes. in, in IT, which, which is commendable. Can you talk a little bit about you know, sure. what, you, what you're doing in that area and where you see IT headed in the next few years for, for women and minorities? You bet, you bet. I, I, I will tell you what I am personally doing, and then I will tell you uh, as much as I can to what the organization is doing uh, which I'm very proud to be a part of. From my perspective, I'm, I'm very active in uh, organizations such as WITI. There's an organization called WITI. It's Women in Technology International and focuses on really looking at the next generation of women that are in technology and making sure they understand the opportunities that exist for them in the field of IT. The other things that I focus a lot of energy on is mentoring college and, and teenage women to understand there really is a career path in IT, and, and it amazes me in this day and age. And, and we have, in our organization, we have a, you know a very diverse population in our IT department, uh, which I'm very proud of. And we have a lot of, of female leaders and, and 
leaders from all walks of life in our organization. And really, when we talk about diversity in our company, it's less about ethnicity or, or gender. It's more about inclusion as a whole. It doesn't matter. Um, but I, I do spend a considerable amount of time mentoring young ladies that are looking at their career paths. I have a great story of a, of a, of a, of a peer of mine in this company that uh, as we got to know each other, the light bulb went off in her head and she says, you know what, there's somebody I need you to meet. There's this young lady that I met at the university, da, 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 da. I really want you to meet her because she does not believe that there are female Hispanics in IT. And I said, as she looked at me and she says, she's got to meet you. And um, so I met the young lady over lunch and she was just in awe. I think, you know, she says, oh, I like, you know, at the t-, she was interested in uh, web design and web development. And she says, you know, it's a passion of mine, but I really didn't see much opportunity. And I really didn't think that there was a career path for me in that arena. And I, I you know, obviously I, I, I said to her that, you know, there was tons of opportunities and we were fortunate enough to bring her on board for one of our internship programs, which is part of our, our program to, to, you know, foster those opportunities and really bring the inclusion factor in. And she spent a whole summer internship with us and she was just in awe. She changed her major. Now she's going into a more technical field, which was, hmm. which was, which was awesome. I loved it. Um, but looking at, you know, diversity across the board, again, it's more about inclusion. The, the company, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I work for a company like M. Jim Mirage, who has made the concept of diversity one of their core values. And um, I have to thank our, our chairman for that because he is an ultimate champion for that. That's great. Yeah. So if you're talking to well, someone like this young person who's, or maybe someone who's a little farther on in their career and lessons learned, mm-hmm. how to, to eventually get into that uh, senior level, uh, C-level uh, position like, like you're yeah. in today, what, what would be a few... Uh, tips of advice mm. for them? You know, that's a tough question. That's a tough one. You know, and, and I'm probably going to sound a little biased, but I, I truly believe that the way uh, for for individuals, whether it be, um, you know, a female technology person that wants to move up into the ranks or anyone for that matter, it's really about diversifying your skill set. Again, looking back at my career, I kind of came into IT by accident because I actually was you know, going to school for psychology and I went into management and, you know, these two chasms came together and I ended up in technology and I've never looked back ever since. But really being able to diversify your skill set, um, you know, if you're if subject matter expertise and software development, you know, broaden your horizons in different areas and the opportunity for me to take on the information security space was exactly that. That was the opportunity for me to broaden my horizons project management for many years, I've managed development teams in the past, you know, working hard and, and it may sound cliche-ish, but um, delivering results. At the end of the day, you know, if you're able to deliver on a message and deliver results, you know, the, your progression path is uh, is yours to make. The packaging those those results in the right way also, I would think, is critical yeah. to your success. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's funny because in, in, in the world of technology, Quite often, going back, and I I hate to regress, but going back to looking at the business solutions group and looking at how we've kind of structured certain things, and we've kind of continued that mantra through the information security space, is that very often my interactions with folks outside of IT, they would say, 
you know what the problem is? Is that when I speak to somebody from IT, I don't understand what they're saying. <laughs> you know, they say the bits and the bites and the this and the that, and they just don't, they got to break it down for me. And, you know, my advice to folks that would be interested in excelling into higher level executive ranks is you have to build the craft to communicate. You have to be able to take a very complex and technical concept and communicate it in a way where folks that are not immediately attached or intimate with the concept can understand it, can grasp it, because it's really, at the end of the day, how do you project your message? How do you get people to buy off on what you're saying and support what it is that you want to do? And I, I think that's key. I used to say there was you know, three components. There's people, process, and technology. Mm-hmm. And the technology typically comes at the end. you got to focus on the people component, mm-hmm. focus on the process component. And, yes, then there's the technology component. And, and very often, like I said before, there may be a, a perception about something. And immediately that perception may be the technology doesn't work. But when you start breaking it down and you go back to either the process or the people, and when I say the people, it's not – fault of the individuals, but were they properly trained, were they properly communicated as to what it is we're trying to accomplish here, exactly. Uh, We really appreciate your time. Uh, This has been a a great conversation. Well, thank you very much for your time and the opportunity to chat with you. Looking forward to a continued and and prosperous relationship with your organization. We'll talk to you soon. bet. Thank you for downloading and listening to another Executive Spotlight podcast brought to you by Symantec. For more information about Symantec products and services, visit the business section at www.symantec.com. And for more Executive Spotlight podcasts, visit go.symantec.com slash ESP.